Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. Well, I've been stuck in two sentences in Philippians all week. Anybody ever get stuck on something like the Lord leads you there and you just kind of get stuck there and he's, he's trying to unpack it for you. And here's where it is. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And the part that stands out to me is the part that I highlighted, that he gives you desire and he gives you the power to do what pleases him. So we get how he can give us power. We kind of understand that because we watch the miracles of Jesus and the disciples and things like that. But desire, like God can update our desires. Other translations say that God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so this Greek word translated both to will or to desire, depending on what translation you're reading, is further defined as this, to be resolved or determined, to be fond of doing, to take delight in. So in other words, God is working in you, giving you the resolve to do what pleases him. God is working in you, filling you with determination to do what pleases him. God is working in you, Updating your desires so that you actually enjoy doing what he asked you to do. And this resonates so much with my personal walk with the Lord. Because there was a time where I loved watching sitcoms. Like I loved it. I would sit in front of the TV for hours watching Reba. (laughs) Last Man Standing. I mean, those were my jam. And then several years ago, the day came where the Lord just asked me to stop watching secular TV altogether. And, but interestingly, it wasn't hard to let it go whenever he asked me to do it. It was like my desire had been updated. I didn't care for those shows anymore. I was determined to do what pleased God. And so after a few months of no TV at all, I sat down one evening to watch something. And it was like I was seeing it all through a new set of eyes. Like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And it was something that we would all consider a clean show, yet I felt my faith being ripped away from me as I was watching. Because they were talking about somebody was sick in the show, and then this other person was sick, and they were going to the doctor, and the doctor was talking about how they couldn't get better, and like just just all that kind of stuff that you see on these TV shows. And it was amazing how those words were going into my ears, and it's like they were going down into my spirit and ripping out this faith that I had built up over the previous two months of not watching TV. That's what it felt like. So after a few minutes of that torture, I said, no way, no way. I got up and walked away from the TV. It's like, I'm not letting my faith be torn away from me for some stupid TV show, just not doing it. And I haven't watched any secular TV since, and I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Now, this isn't a religious rule. I'm not trying to give you a religious rule today. It's something that I want to do. This is, he updated my desires. I don't don't have a desire to go watch this stuff anymore. And it's not something that I'm trying to force on you either today. I'm just simply illustrating that God can update your desires. And if you allow him to do it, he will update those things as you move from glory to glory. The Lord needed to do that for me, for whatever reason. He needed to get secular TV out of my eyes and out of my ears. But I'm not saying that's, what, that's your walk. He, he takes those things as you need them. As you need them. For God is working in you. He's working it. He's at work within you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So just a few weeks ago, 
if you would have asked me if we were going to have multiple services here at No Limits, because look around, the room's full, right? People have been asking me this for like over a year now. Are we going to have multiple service? And I would say, nope. Real quickly, nope. Not unless the Lord leads. And then during our 10 days of prayer and fasting, I clearly heard the Lord say, after September 17th, you're going to need two services to accommodate the increase. Make room. And he left it at that. So my spirit leaped whenever I heard this from the Lord, but my flesh groaned. Anybody relate? So I wrote this down in my journal with my eyes closed because I didn't want to see what I was writing. Towards the end of the 10 days, I went back and I read the things that I had written, and I got to this one. I had to sit on it for a minute. And then I finally decided to be obedient. I said, okay, Lord. Okay, since this is your desire, I know you'll equip us to make it happen. Let it be done as you have said. And as soon as I stepped into obedience, my desire was updated. My flesh wasn't groaning anymore. I was resolved to do what pleases God, and the thought of two services became a delight. And what's even more interesting is after service last Sunday, after I got through preaching, I got in the car, went home. I was like, Beth, I have to preach that again. Like, I, was, I had this pent-up energy on the inside of me to keep going, and I've never had that before. Usually I leave church, and I'm like, I got to get by myself. I got to find a dark, quiet room somewhere because I'm an introvert, and this is a lot. Like, this is a lot. So not only has he given me the desire, but he's given me the power to do what pleases him. This illustrates the first part of the scripture that I read to you. So let's pay attention to that, the first part this time. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Did you notice that came first? And then he updates your desires. So in order for God to update our desires, we must first decide to obey him with deep reverence and fear. Prerequisite. He doesn't update your desires automatically. This is a reward of obedience. It's a reward of obedience. You can't just sit around and wait for God to update your desires so that you can obey him. If you want your desires to become his desires, you must first obey. First obey. And when you obey with deep reverence and fear, you're not obeying with an attitude. It's not partial obedience. What it is, is it's a simple heart posture of God, you're the boss. I humbly submit to you. It doesn't matter if I don't like it. It doesn't matter if I think that I have a better idea than you. And I'm not going to go around moaning and griping after I choose to obey. I'm going to obey with a smile on my face. So is your flesh groaning about two services? Decide now to obey God, and I promise you, he will update your desire. There's no need for you to be miserable as we grow. No need for that. Y'all, this is a biblical reality. This is a biblical reality. I'm teaching you truth today. If you choose to obey God, he will update your desires. If you choose to obey God, he will update your desires. If you choose to obey God, he will update your desires. Anybody need an update? He's going to turn something that you despise into something that you're fond of doing. 
It's the most peculiar thing. Shocking. It brings you delight. What used to make your flesh groan brings you delight. But you have to take the first step. You have to work hard. (laughs) Yay, you have to work hard to show the results of your salvation by obeying God with deep reverence and fear. I can verify this is true. God has updated my desires over and over and over and over again. And it's the most amazing place when your desires become his desires. Amazing. It's a good place to be. And you know, God only has really one desire. We could sum it up into one thing. Do you know what it is? Nobody's brave enough to speak out. That the lost would come to know him. Set his people free. Any others? Love others. Have a relationship. Those are all good things. We could sum it up all into one thing. God is passionate about building his kingdom. God's desire is to build his kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Anybody remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus told us to seek what first? The kingdom of God. And that's why God promises to take care of all the other stuff when we do what? Seek his kingdom first. That's how serious God is about his kingdom. I mean, let's put this in perspective. It's like your boss saying this. If you focus solely on building this business, I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of your food. I'll take care of your cars. I'll take care of all the stuff that you need. You don't even have to pay the bills. Like if you focus on building this business, I'm just going to take care of all that stuff for you. That is the invitation from the Lord. If you focus on building the kingdom of God, all you need will be added to you. Added to you, added to you, added to you as you're seeking his kingdom. But there's a condition. There's a condition. Y'all didn't shout. Are you excited about the condition? We talked a little bit bit about covenant. Jen did. When you do this, I'll do this. We should rejoice when we hear the condition because now we know exactly what we have to do to be a part of what God has for us. You can't be worried about the stuff. That's the condition. You can't even concern yourself about the stuff. You can't spend time thinking about the stuff. You can't spend your life working for the stuff. That's the condition. You must only concern yourself with God's kingdom. This is tougher than it seems. Isn't it tough? I mean, it sounds, it's so simple, but it's tough. I mean, the reason our flesh groans at a new service is because Cade might ask me to stay and serve the new congregation. And that gets in the way of my me time on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> Y'all laugh because it's true. That's exactly what your flesh is saying. In other words, we're more concerned about the stuff than we are about building God's kingdom. We don't want to lay down what we want to do in order to pick up what he wants to do. You're free to live that kind of life. But if you do, your desires will always be at war with God's desires. Your flesh is at war with God's desires. It's much better to obey God so he can update your desire and you can come into alignment with him. I don't know about you, but I don't want my desires to be misaligned with God's desires. I want to be right in line with what he wants, no matter how hard it is, no matter how inconvenient it is. Yes, the Lord will ask you to do inconvenient things. 
We don't serve a convenience God. This isn't a convenience store that we're in today. I want to get to where I truly live in God's kingdom. Like, I don't want to be in the world system at all. I want to live in God's kingdom. So let me show you something else that reveals how serious God is about his kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is talking about Jesus. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about what? The kingdom of God. Jesus had 40 days with the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 40 precious days with the disciples. And what did he spend those 40 days doing? Talking to them about the kingdom of God. I can hear the Lord giving us the same invitation. As we sit and commune with him during our prayer time and during our service, guess what he wants to talk about? His kingdom. He wants to tell us about his kingdom. How, did, how about the Apostle Paul? Did he catch on to this? Like, did he get it? Take a look. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. How did we lose sight of this? <laughs> Seriously, how did we lose sight of this? How did the American church get to where today the kingdom of God is not talked about. The kingdom of God is not demonstrated. We just put on a good show and go home and live our lives. How? How did the kingdom of God come last place if it gets any place in the church? I took part in this nonsense. Y'all, I didn't even think about building the kingdom of God in the first 12 years of ministry. I spent 12 years not even thinking about the kingdom of God. It was all about building a church. Building a church that pleased people enough to have a large gathering. Nevertheless, God got a hold of me. And I'm so thankful. I'm not here to, be, to, to build a people-pleasing church. I'm here to build the kingdom of God. And newsflash, it's not a people-pleasing thing. It's very hard on you, on your flesh. There's a lot of mind renewal that has to take place. There's a lot of things that you have to lay down. You have to crucify your flesh every day, several times a day. So I'm here to equip the saints so that you can go and build his kingdom. So go, go occupy those places of leadership and influence in our city. Go, go possess the land. Go, go build that business. Go, go preach the gospel. Go, go build the kingdom of God. Go. Kind of echo what we heard last week, right? So what does the kingdom of God look like? Like if we sat down with Jesus in our living room and had a conversation with him, we said, Jesus, tell us about your kingdom. What would he tell us? He would echo the Sermon on the Mount where he gave us the most detailed explanation of his kingdom, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to read it together, starting in Matthew 5. Y'all, this is a long block of scripture. We're going to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You're going to have to discipline yourself to stay engaged and listen. Are we feeling disciplined today? 
These are the very words of Jesus. You might as well just imagine Jesus standing up here preaching to you because what I'm doing is reading his sermon. So can you give him the respect that he deserves? I don't know what it is about whenever we start reading the Bible, we think we can just tune out. Well, I'll wait till Cade gets back to his message. This is not an intermission. This is the main course. So Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading out the New Living Translation. And I'll be honest, there's some things in this Sermon on the Mount that I like the New King James Version better. So Beth praises the Lord on that. We're not going to fuss about translations today. I just wanted to let you know in case you're on your phone, you can switch to the same translation that I'm in. So one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them about the kingdom of God. Who's ready? I think this is Jesus' longest sermon. He was a man of few words. I can relate. But this time he let it all out. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. I'm not going to pause very much in here, but I am going to pause right here. Did you notice the sandwich in that one? There's a sandwich going on. So he talked about God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. He's talking about humility. Then he says God blesses those who mourn. And then he says God blesses those who are humble. Humility, humility, sandwiched. But in the middle of it is mourn. And so I've always been a little perplexed as to why that was thrown in there. And we use that a lot at funerals and things like that. And I believe that God does comfort us whenever we've lost a loved one and things like that. But what are we talking about here? So you've realized your need for him. This is how the whole kingdom of God starts. You realize your need for him. You realize that, hey, I'm not all I thought I was. I can't do this. Like, I need Jesus, or I'm not going to make it. You realize your need for him, and then you go into a place where you're mourning because you look back at all this time you wasted doing your own thing. And it causes this grief in your heart because you recognize all the time that you lost with your Savior. But then what does he do in the midst of that mourning? He comforts you. He comes in and he gives you comfort. And God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Woo, glory to God, I got persecuted. Be happy about it. Man, that's the kingdom of God. How's the church been doing? If that's what the kingdom of God looks like, how's the church been doing? I'm going to say only what people like so that I don't get persecuted. (laughs) See what I mean when I say the church is doing a poor job of demonstrating the kingdom of God? All right, let's keep going because it gets better. Woo, this is a hard block of scripture, man. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? 
It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Except when you're in business. I mean, we don't want to let people know we're a Christian whenever we're at work. We want to make sure we put that light under a basket so nobody gets offended. Nobody feels uncomfortable. You know what's crazy? Is that we are shocked whenever we go into a business and they're actually confident in their faith. There was a business in Branson that was like that, a restaurant, where they talked about the Lord, like the servers were talking about the Lord as we were ordering our food. And Beth and I were like, wow. Wow. I thought we were supposed to be quiet about those things in the marketplace. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, I love that. I love that. He's telling you how to follow the law, but don't you dare attribute your following of the law as your own righteousness. Don't you ever get caught up in self-righteousness. Because that's what the Pharisees and teachers of religious law did. That was their righteousness. It was all based on what they could do and what they were doing. If that is your source of righteousness, you're going to go to hell. That's what he just said. If your righteousness is coming from your own efforts, you're going to hell. Because your righteousness has to be better than that. And the only way to get the better righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. That preach is good. So should we do right? Should we follow the law? But should it be the source of our righteousness? No, it should be the result of our righteousness. The result of who we are. Are we clear on that? You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you, com if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, if you're coming to church and you're singing praise and worship songs, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. How important is reconciliation in the kingdom of God? How long should we wait to settle a dispute between each other? Settle your differences quickly. Don't even let it go to court. Just get it taken care of. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, that's some colorful language, Jesus. But what's he saying? You gotta be vicious against sin. You have to eliminate it. Whatever it takes. How well have we done? living in the kingdom of God as the American church in this regard. Oh, we need to tolerate it so people don't feel like they can't come to church. God's grace covers it. I don't even need to worry about it. Is that being vicious against sin? I'm not saying that you won't struggle against these things, but when you recognize the sin in your life, it should be like a bulldog going after to tear it up, to get it out of my life. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get free from this. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. How important is marriage in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God? It's a display of Christ and his bride, marriages. marriages. So how important is marriage in the kingdom of God? We are demonstrating his kingdom through our marriage, through our love for one another, through our patience with one another, through our commitment to the covenant that we made to each other. How important is marriage in the kingdom of God? Do everything you can to bring unity in your marriage. That also shows you that the enemy is going to have a, a bullseye on your marriage. So you have to decide ahead of time, I'm not letting him get in the middle of this. I'm not playing that game. You've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because... Heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. Do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Whoa. How important is commitment in the kingdom of God? We should be so sure in our commitment, the commitments that we make amongst the body of Christ, that all you got to say is yes. Or no, and I know that you'll either do what you said. I'll know that you'll do exactly as you said. Exactly. Mm. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give him your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You might as well circle that one and go, go meditate on it for a while. You need to double back to that one. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. 
If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, my lands. How do I even, how do I even go here? So Jesus is teaching us, love your enemies. Love those who are slandering your name, who are lying about you, who are gossiping about you. Love those people and pray for them. How can we ever get there if we don't even do that for each other? Not only do we not love our enemies, but we struggle to love each other. Somebody hurts us at church, and man, we just hold on to that hurt. We just hold on to it and hold on to it. They say something mean to us or mean against us, and we just hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. If God expects us to pray for our enemies, bless our enemies, how much more does he expect us to pray for each other and bless each other and be patient with each other's faults and be patient with each other's How much more? How much more? How much? Let's get it right in the house so that we can get it right outside the house. Jesus, teach us about your kingdom. This hurts. This is inconvenient. This is not what I want to do. Teach us about your kingdom. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Look what I did. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward that they're ever going to get for that. But when you give to somebody in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. The kingdom of God. I don't need people to know how generous I am. (laughs) And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask Him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I have to let that one set for you. We can come up with all kinds of excuses as to why we have the right to live in unforgiveness, to live in church hurt. Do you understand the risk of not forgiving others? Do you really understand? You need to let that sink in. It's brutal. The consequences of not forgiving is brutal. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, (laughs) so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward that they're going to get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. 
We're not talking about our group fast here. Of course, we all knew each other was fasting. We're talking about in between those group fasts, when you fast by yourself, nobody here should even know that you're doing it. We don't need you coming in here. I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. I'm, I'm really suffering this week because I've been fasting. Y'all laugh probably because you've done it, right? We want people to know that we're fasting. I'm being tortured over here. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. (sighs) The kingdom of God is so much different than the world. (laughs) What about my 401k? What about my Dave Ramsey emergency fund? That's untouchable, right? It's okay if I store that up. My, four, it's, my 401k, it's okay if I store that up. The world's wisdom is not God's wisdom. I know, I see some of y'all looking at me with the tilted head there. Cade, you're telling me not to have a 401k? I'm telling you to take this before the Lord and ask him what this means for your finances. Because I had a lot of things stored up And he came and wiped it all out. And he told me that's exactly what he wanted to do. Because my trust was in what was sitting in my bank account. And he wanted to make sure that it wasn't there. Why? Why do we have to trust him? Is his provision more than what we can store up? More than our wisest investment? This is hard, isn't it? The kingdom of God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If you're aligning with what the world's up to, you should probably question that. God, is this really what you want for me? Oh, that troubled enough of you. Maybe we should just stop here so you can take that trouble home and work through it. Take that home. Ask the Lord about it. He'll teach you. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. For no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Notice the whole eye, lamp, and all that stuff was sandwiched between. Talk about money and talk about money. So you think that was probably about money. Or do you think that he just, Jesus just kind of threw in something random here? What Jesus is saying is that if you have your eyes set on the world's way of doing money, you're in darkness. And if you don't know you're in darkness, how deep that darkness is. I'll stop there. Y'all can take that home and think about it. Circle that. But he goes on. We're still talking about money here. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't even plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? 
I ask myself that question. I don't know about you. Kate, why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. I'm still waiting for us to get this. I don't know how many times I've said it over the last few weeks. I'm waiting for us to get it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things are going to be added to you. I'm waiting for us to get, we haven't got it yet. I hope today is like another, like line on the, whatever you want to call it, like clunk, like it's settling in, right? Okay, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Lord, help us get it. Lord, seriously, help us get it. We want to get it. We want to get it. I want to get it. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Of course not. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Thank you for that summary, Jesus. It's like, let me just sum up like more than half your Bible in one sentence. That's a funny one to teach your kids. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of replaying our conversations with our kids on this. What does Leanna say about that? She's got it now. She would, she would return what they did to her. She's like, well, that's clearly what they want. <laughs> She's a deep thinker. It's like, Leanna, no, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. She's like, okay. <laughs> Hilarious. We adults do the same thing. <laughs> that's what they wanted. Clearly, that's what they want. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. That should put the fear of God in you. Our loose Christianity that we've developed is the highway to hell. Isn't that a song? You want to sing it, Kurt? No? All right. I guess it's not a good song. <laughs> the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, 
He's been paving the road for us through this, and it's difficult, isn't it? All this stuff. So beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. I get this question a lot. How do we know if it's a false prophet? How do we know if it's a false preacher? Kate, are you a false preacher? Maybe you've asked yourself that. Is Kate a false preacher? You know them by their fruit, by the way that they act. And notice it says that they come disguised as harmless sheep. That really paints a picture for you. There's a lot of people-pleasing pastors. There's a lot of people-pleasing prophets, and they have a huge YouTube following. They have a huge church following. They look harmless. People love them because they never ruffle their feathers. You know them by their fruit, and then they go and they have an affair, and then they go and you've, you know them by the way that they act. You know them by their fruit. That goes for anybody in the kingdom of God. How do we know this is true? Because can you pick grapes from a thorn bush? Can you pick figs from thistles? A good tree produces only good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. There's a lot of people whose words do not align with their actions. What should you listen to? Their actions. Did he say you got to call them out? No. He said just pay attention. Pay attention. So you don't get swayed by a false teacher. So you don't get swayed by a false prophet. Pay attention to the fruit. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. Oh, but if you become a Christian, things will go all great for you. It'll be the perfect life. You'll never have any troubles anymore. (laughs) Tell me how that aligns with the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said, hey, you know what? If you follow my teaching, if you actually obey what it says, guess what? The rain's going to come in torrents. It's going to come in torrents. The flood is going to come. The winds are going to beat against your house. But it won't collapse because it's built on the rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When those rains come and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority and real challenges. Quite unlike, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. For when Cade finished preaching on Sunday, the people were amazed that they didn't feel good as they left the church. But they felt convicted, like they needed to change something, like they needed to follow God better. There is the most detailed explanation of the kingdom of God. You need to read the whole thing again. You might need to read that every day this week and next week and for the rest of the year. We're so far off course. 
regarding the kingdom of God, it's going to take effort to get us back in line with where we're supposed to be. Now, we've been on a trajectory of correction for a couple years now, this church has, but we're not there yet. Keep correcting, keep course correcting until you line up with everything we just read, not just, not just some of those things, not just everything except the money part. <laughs> Why is that so funny? Yes. Yep. Beth and I went to a sheep class all day yesterday. We're going to raise sheep on our land. That's where the Lord's leading us. And so we had to go learn what to do with sheep. Neither of us have ever even touched a sheep, right? But now we have. And you got me covered, right, AJ? Yep. And they were teaching us the truth about sheep and shepherds. And my mind was open. Our perspective of how we read those scriptures in the Bible is skewed because we don't understand shepherding. The shepherd is not out front of the sheep leading the way. The shepherd is behind the sheep getting the ones who kind of get off course as they move into the pasture that he's prepared for them. So the shepherd went ahead of time and he looked the pasture over, made sure there's no predators, make sure this grass is good for them. And then when it was time for the sheep to come in, he goes behind the sheep and he leads them into the pasture that's been prepared. And that is the true role of a pastor in the body of Christ. God prepares me. He makes me go through it first so that you can go through the gate. He takes me into this pasture over here where I have to learn that I can't store up my money anymore and trust in my big bank account that I have sitting over here. He's like, I'm going to wipe that all out so you can learn to really trust me. And you know what happens next? I come behind you guys. I say, come on, let's go through the gate. And all you ones who are straggling with this, I'll come get you with my staff. Come on. Come on, let's go. Contrary to popular belief, sheep are not stupid. They do exactly what they should do whenever they trust their shepherd. And a stranger they will not follow. That shepherd that knows those sheep can go out there and get those sheep to go anywhere he wants them to go. But if somebody strange comes in, the sheep don't, don't pay attention. We're not doing that. When it's true shepherding, like when it's true sheep in the pasture, not how we have them in barns these days, like it throws the whole thing off when that's our understanding of how this works. So yes, the Lord makes me go through it first so that I can lead you into the green pasture and say, come on, this is a better place to be. Loving your enemies is a better place to be. When people persecute you and say the worst things about you, praying a blessing over them, speaking blessing over them and praying for them is the best thing you can do. It really is. I'm getting to practice that even more these days. I feel like my character is, on, is being attacked by those who are closest to me. And I take these things before the Lord and I say, Lord, is, like, what do I need to see here? Is there really something off with, with my character? Then what does he tell me? Look at their fruit. And then that leads me into praying for them. Because they're just seeing something skewed because they're not in alignment. And that gives me great compassion. Because I want everybody to be in alignment with the Lord. 
Lord, bring us into alignment with you today. Not our thoughts, but yours. Not our ways, but yours. Not the world's kingdom, but your kingdom, God. Your kingdom come. I don't think we realize what we were praying until now when we say your kingdom come. All that stuff we just read in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, we want that to come into this house, into this house. Lord, your kingdom come into this house and your will be done in this house in No Limits Church as it is in heaven, in our lives as it is in heaven, in our families as it is in heaven. Lord, we're amazed at what you teach. Can this be so? Lord, I choose obedience even when I don't understand. I don't require you to give me understanding before I obey. I will obey first. I will obey first. And if you find it appropriate to explain it to me later, great. If you don't, that's okay too. I don't need complete understanding because I want to live my life in faith. If all I'm doing is living as I understand, I'm not living in faith. I'm living out of my own understanding. I want to live by faith. I want to live truly submitted to you. Truly. Even in the hard things. If you're willing, just stretch out your hands before you in an act of submission to the Lord and make that same expression to him to say, Lord, I truly submit myself to you. Really, have it all. I, however you want to say that, just pour your heart out to him. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.